Well, that laughter is good because the theme I wanted to talk about tonight is actually mudita. So maybe we should just launch into it and then sit afterwards. (laughs) So I was thinking about this garden metaphor for what we're doing in the practice. And, you know, metaphorically, we've been in this phase of pulling out the rocks and the stones and uprooting the bigger weeds And now in some ways what we're doing is, you could say, fertilizing the soil, enriching the soil, conditioning the soil. And we've been doing that through the practice of the Brahma-viharas, the heart qualities of kindness and compassion and appreciative joy and equanimity. And last night Eliza spoke about compassion, compassion being that capacity of the heart to take the foundational quality of goodwill, friendliness, metta, and really turn it towards life's difficulties and challenges and sorrows. So when metta turns towards dukkha, it flowers as compassion. On the other side of the coin, when that same metta turns towards what's going well, to life's successes and rewards and good fortune, it can flower as mudita, or appreciative joy, sometimes translated as sympathetic joy, sometimes simply gladness. And we can use that understanding of the relationship between compassion and mudita to our advantage. So at those times when perhaps our we're getting a little bit bogged down in the dukkha side of the practice, maybe starting to slide into grief or overwhelm, we can consciously bring in some mudita to help come back to balance. So mudita is a very powerful way of bringing our heart-mind back into balance. But in spite of that, I think of maybe all four of the Brahma-vihara, it's the one that gets the least airtime, the least attention. And I've spent some time pondering why that might be, and I think there's a whole range of different reasons. One may simply be our inbuilt negativity bias. You know, our minds just tend to automatically go towards what's difficult, painful, challenging, and to pay far more attention to that. So it can be hard to open up to what in the Taoist tradition are known as the 10,000 joys as well as the 10,000 sorrows. So we have this individual bias away from opening to joy. There's also a broader cultural societal conditioning. And I think many of us, maybe all of us, are immersed in societies that tend to value hyper-individualism and self-reliance and competitiveness. And so the idea of celebrating somebody else's success and happiness, in some ways that's pretty deeply countercultural. And if we are too immersed in that kind of individuality, then when somebody else gets something good, there can be a sense of, well, I'm missing out. 
You know, there can be a, a poverty mentality or a lack mentality that sees someone else's good fortune, access or happiness must be coming at the expense of our own. And so it can be counterintuitive to open to other people's joy and happiness. So it's fortunate that like all of the Brahma-Vihara, mudita is a quality that can be actively cultivated, something we can train in and strengthen and deepen. And again, like all of the Brahma-Vihara, the encouragement is to start where it comes most easily. So you might, in a way, begin, if you're new to this practice, you might start auditioning people or beings for where mudita comes most easily. And usually it's where we have a simpler relationship with someone. So perhaps a small child, if you have little kids in your life, maybe grandchildren or nieces or nephews or neighbors with kids, it can be relatively easy to feel a sense of mudita. If it's a really young kid, when that little kid starts walking for the first time and there's just this amazement and delight when they take their first steps. And it's pretty easy to resonate with that. Or if they're a little bit older, maybe they come back and tell you about their new friend at school. Or a bit older still, they bring home that trophy for most improved player, which I always thought was slightly ambivalent, <laughs> having received quite a few of those trophies. <laughs> Always seemed like a little bit of a mixed message in there. <laughs> so the, perhaps with children, mudita might come easily. Or for many people, actually, non-human beings are an easier place to start. As I brought in with the birds the other night, and we've been picking up on this theme of animals. So for many people, dogs are a pretty powerful source of mudita. Someone recently was telling me about they had a new dog, and this was in the U.S. in winter, and they were observing the first time that dog experienced snow, and they were telling me how it would dive into the snowdrift, muzzle first, and then jump out and just shake all the snow off and totally bemused them and do it again and just jump through all the deep snowdrifts, and its tail was going crazy because it's just so excited. So you might have a sense of that dog's delight. Or I think some of you might be more cat people. <laughs> so when Eliza was sharing the story of Losa the other day, how she was originally a stray cat and she was brought, you said, to a Tibetan monastery. Mm. Was that in Tibet or Nepal or in, in Australia? Australia. In, in Australia. Yeah. So this stray cat ended up in a Tibetan monastery in Australia, which in itself is pretty amazing. <laughs> but I was just imagining for that cat the transition from maybe struggling to survive on the street to being so beautifully looked after by these two. So I've met Losar quite a few times now, and she is beautifully looked after. <laughs> so you might have a sense of mudita for the life of Losar. And you might just notice now if there is any flicker of joy or delight or happiness for that dog, for that cat, 
for any small children in your life. Just a sense of warmth or openness or expansiveness when you think of their happiness. So what this practice is doing is really opening up new neural pathways in the heart-mind. And the more we can keep touching into this quality of mudita, the more those pathways get strengthened. Conversely, the opposite pathways get denourished. So those pathways that involve what are known as the far enemies of mudita, so pathways that are cultivating resentment or envy or jealousy, as we denourish those, they get shrunken and eventually can wither away completely. So the first stage in strengthening these pathways is firstly just to recognize the quality itself, like we just did, to really feel into and know for ourselves, how does mudita feel in this being? And then we, we can also keep priming that pump, so to speak. So it can be a very powerful practice as you go throughout your day, even here on retreat. Keep tuning in to any experiences that bring you a little flavor of appreciation, of gratitude, of delight. Now just to acknowledge traditionally this practice is not done for oneself. So that Apparently, there was a later development in development of the, these practices. And as far as we know, back at the time of the Buddha, mudita was known as simply gladness. So we hear that, we see that in the chants that we've been doing in the morning. And I spoke to a Pali scholar about the etymology of this term mudita. Because for me, it was curious that the instructions coming from the Visuddhimagga are to cultivate it for everyone else and not for yourself. As far as I know, there's nowhere else in the Pali Canon where we ourselves are specifically excluded from any practice. So the Pali scholar that I consulted said mudita simply meant gladness. And originally there wasn't that sense for another person's happiness. So the way, as far as we know, this was practiced at the time of the Buddha was pretty much like the chant, to abide with a heart imbued with gladness, and then to pervade that gladness in all directions until it covers the all-encompassing world. And as it says, offering it to all as to oneself. So in that earlier approach to mudita, it very much was fine to include oneself. And so for that reason, I appreciate the practice of appreciating our own whatever kind of um, delights are available to us throughout the day. And I've been appreciating likewise just how many of you have ex been expressing your gratitude for this retreat. It's a very powerful place to start. So many of you have shared your appreciation that we get to do a two-week retreat together here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And that can be a very powerful reflection to keep in mind, especially when the hindrances are coming up. 
You start to feel those little claws coming into your mind. Maybe there's a sense of feeling dull or flat or disconnected. Just to remember. Remember the aspirations that you wrote on opening night. Remembering the good fortune of being on this retreat can start to bring a little bit of uplift. So I mentioned the other night how mudita can be an antidote specifically to the hindrance of sloth and torpor. So if sloth and torpor is showing up in the form of kind of apathy or dullness or disconnection, you might experiment with a practice I call taking a mudita walk. And so this involves just going outside, going for a walk around opening up all sense doors and just noticing when some kind of experience at any of the sense doors registers as pleasant. Some of you have done this as a a paired practice, but when you recognize something pleasant, you can just physically stop. Let that in, acknowledge. Perhaps it's the pleasant melodic call of a tui out in the Kofi tree. Maybe it's the pleasantness of feeling the warm sun on your back after a cold day. Maybe it's the pleasantness of a cool breeze. Or the feeling of well-being and the ease in the body as you walk. Or the visual beauty of the labyrinth. There are so many small moments of pleasant experience that are accessible through the whole day. Perhaps especially the meals. Maybe there's a pleasant aftertaste of yet another of Adrienne's incredible creations, Adrienne and the service team, providing us with this regular flow of incredible food. So there are all these different pleasant sense experiences that we can connect with and very important not to stop there let that pleasant worldly feeling tone transmit into pleasant unworldly feeling tone so taking the sense-based pleasant experiences and just inviting them allowing them to sort of kick start the feeling of mudita of gratitude, of appreciation, of delight. And that's what converts the worldly feeling tone to the unworldly, pleasant experience of mudita. And then when it's there, again, those words like imbuing, abiding, pervading, saturating, savoring, steeping, I'm adding my own words now, but the invitation is to dwell in those to let them ripen and deepen and strengthen. Let your heart abide in it for as long as you can stand it. (laughs) And in the beginning, that might not be for very long. (laughs) You know, sadly, again, that cultural conditioning, many of us have an almost instinctive mistrust of happiness or joy. There can be a sense of, well, it's impermanent, so why bother? I'll practice preemptive disappointment. 
and not even open to that joy in the first place. Or there can be for some people a sense of, well, I don't deserve to be happy. Or it's somehow self-indulgent when there's so much suffering around the world. What right do I have to feel any happiness? And I've often shared uh, my own cultural heritage, having family from the north of England, not so well known for their abundant, effusive joy. <laughs> and so I don't know that I'd ever use the word joy <laughs> until I came into this practice. It wasn't really part of my emotional repertoire when I was growing up. So there are many ways that this practice can challenge some pretty deep conditioning. And yet at the same time, it can be so powerful to begin to open up to this as a possibility. And again, coming back to the sense of bringing ourselves into the practice. One of the ways we can do this is to open to our own strengths, our own happiness, our own good fortune. And I include strengths in here because it's a little bit combined with some instructions that the Buddha gave to a layman by the name of Mahanama. So this layman apparently went to the Buddha and, to paraphrase, said, you give all these teachings for monastics, but what about offering some teachings for lay people like me? And he, he was a layman, and he said that he lives in a house that's, quote, dusty and crowded with children. So you get the impression, maybe not so conducive to deep samadhi. <laughs> and the Buddha said, yes. You should contemplate every day as often as you remember these six things. Contemplate the good qualities of the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, and the Devas or celestial beings. And also contemplate your own generosity and your own good qualities. And if you contemplate these six things every day throughout the day, your mind will head straight and, to paraphrase, it will set the mind in very skillful states, ultimately leading to freedom. So when I first read this teaching, I was kind of horrified by it. <laughs> Just the idea of cultivating your own good qualities. It sounded like sort of conceited. Or... But because I was so horrified by it, I thought I should give it a try. And I took it on as a kind of a going against the grain practice. But I was surprised that effect that it had. Rather than making me feel conceited or superior or better than, it actually made me feel more at ease and more able to take in the good qualities and appreciate other people. Instead of getting caught in comparing mind, basically coming from a sense of lack or inadequacy, because I was more open to the full range. It wasn't just about ignoring. It's not all good in there. But I was open more to the full spectrum of this being. And so then I was meeting people from a different place. And as I said, it felt much easier to really take in the beauty and the good qualities and the strengths of other people too. 
So in my own practice of mudita, I started to incorporate this as an aspect of the practice. So in taking in my own good qualities, the good qualities of other people, likewise the good fortune and the joy. So I developed a set of phrases to work with, and the phrases are, may I appreciate my own good qualities? May I take joy in this good fortune? May this joy continue. May it grow. May it lead to ever-deepening ease and freedom. So it's just a reminder that this joy is not just sort of grooving on happiness for its own sake, which has a place, but it's also intended to be onward leading, to support all the other skillful qualities of heart and mind that lead to deep freedom. So those are phrases for practicing mudita for myself and then for others. May I appreciate your good qualities or may you appreciate your good qualities. I take joy in your good fortune. May your joy continue. May it grow. May it lead to ever-deepening ease and freedom. So those are just some suggested phrases if phrases work for you. If they don't, then more the practice we've been doing with the chanting, you might just abide in that quality of mudita, maybe using the small child or the dog or losar the cat as your sort of kindling and then let that mudita abide, pervade around the world. There's one other aspect of the chanting that we've been doing that I'd like to highlight in the phrases where we do the sharing of merit at the end of the evening, as we'll do in a few minutes, there's one phrase where it says, may all beings receive the blessings of my life. I don't know if any of you have noticed that, but I have chanted those phrases, that whole discourse, what do you call it, that whole chant, hundreds of times at the ends of an evening on retreat, hundreds of times, maybe even a thousand times. And I chanted that phrase, and it was just a nice Buddhist phrase (laughs) in a sea of other nice Buddhist phrases. But then one time, that phrase just jumped out at me. You may have had that experience. Suddenly something hits you in a whole new way. It's, may all beings receive the blessings of my life. My life has blessings. Wow. (laughs) It just came in. My life has blessings. And as I was reflecting, I thought, it's actually miraculous, the transformations that have happened since I've been following this Dharma path. And to be able to name, yes, those are blessings, and they're in my life. They just felt like they grew and became so abundant. Of course I want to share the blessings of my life. And so you may reflect as we do the chanting in a moment, are there blessings in your life too? That you might feel their abundance naturally growing, growing, gathering, and maybe just wanting to be shared by all beings. So that's my hope. May all beings receive the blessings of all of our lives. Thank you for your attention.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.